is Sportsnet Today with Aaron Vickers and Peter Klein on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Happy Friday. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. In opposite order of the intro, I'm Peter Klein. He is Aaron Vickers. We like to get a little crazy every once in a while, mix it up. <laughs> get a little wild. Go alphabetically by last name instead of first name. Uh, other way around. First name instead of last. Because K comes before V. Right, and that's what that's how I just did it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were saying that's how we introduced it as. No, 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 no. That'd be ridiculous. Can't wait to see what else I misinterpret in the next few hours. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Uh, we have a very busy show uh, coming up for you today as we have Jason Ribeiro coming up. I'm saying that wrong, I think. Um, coming up at 1.30, the Calgary Surge president. At 2.30, Caleb Joseph will be joining the program as we try to figure out what's going on with the Blue Jays. And at 3 o'clock, Matty Rose with your Stampeders report. Live! It's going to be exciting as the Stamps get ready to try to slow down the great boatmen of Toronto tonight. Speaking of Matty Rose, okay. what do you make of his standing up to get the juices flowing in the morning? Have you ever seen that? No. He'll I literally rise to his feet and get the party started. Huh. I, I kind of like it. I might do it in honor of him yeah, when he comes on. Yeah. Like, these these reach pretty high. They could get me. Um, he didn't do that when I was working there in the morning. Really? I don't know if I'm just a natural juice flower for him, uh, which, yeah, take that however you want, or uh, or what it was. But, uh, yeah, there was no, there was none of that when I was there last week. Maybe we'll get the origin story behind it. <laughs> yeah. Am I too juicy? Am I not juicy enough? Why did you need to? Why, why didn't you do that while I was there? Now I'm now I'm self conscious about the juiciness of that. Program. And I'm just worried about the next thing that might come out of my mouth that'll get me fired. So, <laughs> um, as always, you can get in touch with the show nine six zero nine six zero as we come to you from the DL Basement Systems downtown studios. Um, we will begin today, though, in the world of hockey, as a team that Logan and I discussed earlier this week is in the news, as the Washington Capitals have signed Tom Wilson to an extension. Now, if you recall, longtime listeners of the show from Tuesday will uh, recall that we discussed what the Washington Capitals could do this season. And if they were not a team that was in playoff contention, as they were not last year, then maybe with some of the expiring contracts, they could move a couple of those guys out. Or like just try to do like a quick little, look, we want to keep things competitive for Ovi, but these guys aren't coming back. So let's get a couple of assets for them and maybe start to think about what life might be like after Alexander Ovechkin. And the Washington Capitals went, LOL, no chance. And signed Tom Wilson to a, in my opinion, absurd contract of seven years worth $45.5 million. Uh, so my question to you, Mr. Vickers, is this. What the hell are the Capitals doing? <laughs> Well, that's a heck of a question to get things done because I don't have an answer for that. It does seem a little egregious, a seven-year contract, $6.5 million per. $4.5 million in bonuses the final two years. The third year prior, $2 million. So virtually buyout proof. This doesn't expire until he's 37. He's 30 years old now. And, and don't get me wrong. Right now, to me, he's one of the last true power forwards. He can beat you with his gloves on or off. But giving him that kind of term, seven years, buyout proof, your average age among Capitals forwards as it stands today is 29.8. And this is a guy that 
historically hasn't been able to stay healthy, mm-hmm. had 22 points in 33 games last season. I'm not convinced that he's going to have the longevity that Alex Ovechkin has enjoyed. And this is going to be, regardless of where the cap goes, because that's one of my questions I'll pose to you is, does this start to look better when we see a $4 million jump and a $4 million jump in the cap and suddenly there's some space opening? But I don't think the inevitable cap rise makes this more palatable. I think this is a little bit of too much of a thank you for your service. We want to see you retire in this jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is a, um, this guy who we're trying to keep or we're trying to keep happy really seems to like you. So we're going to keep you around. But th- this contract is absurd. Um, I'm glad you brought up the salary cap rising because that has been forever used as a justification for some of the worst contracts in cap era sports. I remember when the NBA salary cap went up and like on day one, Timothy Mozgov is getting like a $70 million contract. And you may be asking, who is that? And that would be the correct response. Um, I got one right. Then, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but now with this, if the salary cap is going up $4 million, $4 million, $4 million, I would like to have the advantage of being able to use that and prove my team instead of masking mistakes I've already made. So I, I hate the just, oh, the cap's going to go up in a couple of years. That'll be fine. No, it's still an overpay. And if you pay him what you're supposed to be paying him, then you could take full advantage of that salary cap going up instead of, oh, thank God, we don't have to trade three guys away. We only have to trade two. You said he's the last, one of the last power forwards. And I, I would agree with that. Those guys don't age gracefully. Like that, that is not what we had one here last year. You, you do not see the peak of their powers stick around a whole lot. And when it falls off, it falls off a cliff. Which, like, he has played, he played 78 games in 21-22. That's sweet. Uh, 20-21-47. Last year, 33 games. I, I just, I feel like we have already seen the best of Tom Wilson. And you are paying him as if that is going to stay around for this entire time. I don't even know if Tom Wilson's worth $6.5 million next season. Let alone when this is kicking in in a couple of years and a few years down the road. So I... I hate this for Washington. I cannot stand this contract. Now, in all fairness, that 2020-2021 season was the shortened COVID season. Was it not the 56-gamer? Now, I'm still saying he didn't play a full season. Right. He was nine games short. No, you're right, yeah. I don't know the extent of the injury off the top of my head. I don't know if it happened late season and he would have missed the rest of the year. Yeah. So be it. I'm not here to argue that. I'm here to argue that the Washington Capitals are banking on the 24-goal, 52-point guy they got in 2020-21-22. I just don't know if I necessarily see it. And it's funny you mentioned a gentleman who was here in Calgary very recently, arguably one of the last true power fours, arguably one of the last true enforcers. Milan Lucic's contract signed in 2016 with the Edmonton Oilers was one of the three cap-friendly comparables for Tom Wilson's contract. That was signed in 2016. That's how far back you have to go to get a comparable to Tom Wilson's deal here. You have to go back. You got to roll it back seven years to even begin to make sense of what does this contract look like in relation to others? Yeah, it was Milan Lucic, 2016. Yeah. Not ideal. No. The other one was Chris Kreider, which to me makes no sense. (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure what the exact comparables were there, but they don't play anything like each other. And then the second of the three was Brendan Gallagher, which somewhat makes more sense. Mm -hmm. But even still, if you're rolling out Milan Lucic as a comparable for a contract signed seven years ago, right? That's Uh, that's grasping at straws a little bit to be like, okay, how do we compare this to past history? Yeah, a contract that you had to take on another bad contract to get rid of, whilst also eating some of that contract. Who won that trade? Oh, geez. 
Ah, uh, because the argument from up north is, well, we got to buy our guy out, which to me is never a great yeah. argument. We got to get rid of ours sooner is never a, <laughs> yeah, no, we won. No, I, I think the Flames did win that one. Uh, but I mean, I digress. You, but... you could you could say no one won that one, but that's to, to each their own, I suppose. But like, I just I the only thing I can wrap my head around with this deal is he has been a big part of this team for a long time. And like you said, yeah, we want to reward you. I if I'm Washington, like I, I don't think this team is going to be very successful post Alex Ovechkin. Right, well, like I mean, it we're, feels like we're in current Alex Ovechkin. They miss the playoffs by twelve points. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's it too. Where, where's the improvement coming from this year? Right, like if you're signing contracts like this, they have to. You, you would assume that they have plans of making it in the playoffs. I don't know what. Like you look at this roster, it doesn't scream playoffs to me. It screams playoffs to me in 2018. Uh, but now, five years later, it doesn't doesn't look like a playoff roster to me. And I, I think you are kind of tying your hands when it comes to where improvement can come on this team. And I don't know necessarily what was discussed on Tuesday, but I'm looking at the Metro division and I've got three locks, Carolina, New Jersey, and the Rangers. I don't care what order you put them in. I would put yeah. Carolina first myself. We can debate that at another time. Yeah. Then you've got the Islanders who also made the playoffs. They don't necessarily scare me. A full year of Bo Horvat there will, I think at least help. But then, so you've got in the mix, you've got the Islanders, the Penguins, and we'll get to the Penguins in a moment. And the Washington Capitals. So basically, Washington needs to leapfrog two teams that had 11 and 13 more points than them last season with what I can only assume is hopes and prayers of season over season improvement. Yeah. And uh, Matthew Phillips turns into the player that we all thought he could have been here, turns into that over in, in Washington. Um, and then, like, if you're looking at it from a, a wild card standpoint, oh, God, no. The, the Atlantic, like, it, it's the Atlantic. Wild is the best division in hockey for me right now. Yeah. I so, I feel bad for the rebuilding teams, the Detroits, the Ottawa's, and the Buffaloes, because who are you going to catch? Boston? Well, there's a little bit of turmoil there. Mm-hmm. Toronto is going to be Toronto. Tampa is going to be a version of Tampa. Yeah. Florida was the last team in the playoffs and went to the cup final. So if you're looking to leapfrog into there, if you're, if you're the Washington Capitals going, yeah, I think we can take one of those two wildcard spots. Right. No, you don't. But then you can. said there's top three locked in in the Metro already, right? So they're yeah. that, like... By definition, you have to be going for the wild card, and that's not going to go great for you. So I, I, I don't like you. You can't just throw in the towel, especially when you're having the the Alex Ovechkin run that you were looking for, right. uh, and all of that. But this, a, I wouldn't have done this anyway. But B, I don't know if I'm signing any contract right now that's longer than Alex Ovechkin's. Like I am, I am kind of working under the assumption. Look, when this guy leaves. We're going to be able to have a banner. A, we have a banner that has the Stanley Cup. B, we're going to have a banner like, oh, hey, all-time goal scoring record. Alexander Ovechkin. Isn't that phenomenal? Uh, But C, we're going to be bad. We're going to strip it down to the studs and rebuild. Yes. Aside from now Tom Wilson, who's just going to be there. Probably 50% 50 of what you're used to Tom Wilson for. It's going to be an unmovable contract. And he's just going to kind of be this albatross sitting there, kind of keeping you from looking to to rebuild and doing all the things you want to do. I just figured it out. Hmm. He's there to keep Dylan Strom company because Strom's <laughs> Strom signed at five million per until 2027, 2028 is his final season. So you gotta have at least somebody sticking around. Right. For him. Yeah, just keep that's around. about that's about the the logic I have on that one. It's just I'm I'm glad I'm not the only one here who thinks this is an absurd contract, because this feels like an absurd contract right now for uh, the Washington Capitals. You brought up uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Jake Gensel is going to be out three months uh, after what kind of, I had it written down, but now I can't find it. After an injury of some of some sort. Um, 
this, I find it rather interesting that you have Washington and Pittsburgh kind of in the, uh, in the news at the same time, right? Ankle surgery. Um, because like the, these are the two, two, the cream of the crop in the, the Eastern conference, along with Boston. And I guess you could lump Boston in here as well with the, we're the talking Bergeron over the last, last decade yes. or so. Yeah. 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 After like the, this last kind of era, I guess, uh, pre Tampa Bay, it, it was like these three teams at the tippity top all the time. And now Washington certainly feels like they're fading away. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins feel like they are fading away a little bit as well. And now Gensel's going to miss. They will not go quietly into that their night, sir. No, they, they, they certainly don't want to. They may not have a choice. Um, and like you said, there, there's turmoil in Boston with top-line center Charlie Coyle right now. It, and, it just, and, and we haven't heard it officially unless I've missed something, but David Krejci's future still in question. Seems like he might be leaning to hanging them up. I saw speculation that he was going to retire but still represent Czechy at the World Championship. So maybe he goes back and plays in the Czech League again. Yeah. Who knows? So now you're down your top two. And as you mentioned, Charlie Coyle and Charlie Coyle. <laughs> yeah. That's Pavel Zaka. Yeah. That, that's, so Charlie Coyle. Um, it's it just, it, it feels like that this past era is now like firmly gone, right? Like you, you have the, these former pillars who are just kind of hanging around. And I don't want to say, oh, they, they should have all blown it up. They should have traded Malkin and Crosby and, and all of these teams. But this is kind of the the price you pay for that kind of stuff now, right? Like you you had an amazing run, and I don't think any of those teams would trade any of the the memories I they've had not. over the last decade. No, the Flames fans would take basically all of them right now. You, you you absolutely would not trade all of that, but this is the price you pay for that now, right? Like you understand that when you you sign up for that type of a run, eventually it turns into this, where it's just kind of there for for these teams. Do you see any of them? breaking through for one last run of glory or have we officially moved on from that era of the East? How are you going to define glory? Because I can see the Pittsburgh Penguins qualifying for the playoffs. I'm not necessarily going to sit here and go, oh yeah, they're going to win around. Like, they might be down in five. Yeah. But uh, do they have another playoff appearance in them? Oh, most definitely. I, I firmly believe the Pittsburgh Penguins do. I'm not necessarily sold on the Washington Capitals at all. And in terms of Boston, I'm super curious because they're down their top two. They still had 135 points last year. Right. So, and I, I'm, I'm going to disregard Cretchy a little bit, and that might be a little bit rude. My apologies to him and his family. But how much <laughs> do you it. discount 135 points with the absence of Patrice Bergeron? Like, how many points is he good for? Like, should this still not be a 110 to 115 point team without Patrice Bergeron? And I know he finished top three in Selkie voting for a decade straight, 12 years, dozen, whatever it was. But how much do you expect Boston to fall off? A fair amount, Uh, unless they go on an addressed center. Because right now, like we said, their top two is Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka. And all due respect, and I mean all due respect to Pasternak and Marshawn, those guys are great. But the straw that stirred that drink was Patrice Bergeron. So you have to assume they take at least a bit of a step back, both of those guys. So now you have the the line that defined this team. They are taking a step back. Everyone else has to take a step down because you have these centers who are moving up and playing beyond their pay grade. You have a salary cap situation right now. They have $429,000. So if they are addressing this center need, they are doing so by taking stuff off of the active roster as well. Like I get if they drop 40 points, they are still a 95-point team. 
it, it just feels like with, with no Bergeron there, it affects the entire roster because people are going to be playing in roles that they're not comfortable with. Players are going to be playing with other players that they're not necessarily comfortable with. And as you said before, like Bergeron affects the entire ice, not just the offensive zone, but defensively as well. He just had his hands in everything that they did that I, I feel like this is going to be a rather severe drop-off in Boston. So you think... Okay, maybe I got to preface it with this. I'm going to assume that you think that Boston overachieved to get to 135 points because that's an NHL record-setting season. It's, right. it's You just don't go out and repeat that the next year regardless of whether or not you have the same personnel. Yeah. But are you calculating Patrice Bergeron as roughly 25 points? Let's say 125 would have been a, a successful season. Everybody smiles and nods. It's not the record 135. I think they would have taken that. Yeah. They would have taken that as well. But are you considering that Bergeron accounts for 25 to 30 points in the standings? Because if so, shouldn't that be your Hart Trophy winner? Fair point. Um, also, I, I do like, not that Krejci accounts for a lot of that, but it, it's just you replace him with absolutely nothing. Slotting. Yes, yes. yes. The, 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 the slotting is very poor on this team now. Yeah, so I, I think the combination of they were going to lose a bunch of points anyway because they're probably not going to be historically great two years in a row. That's just not how sports works. Uh, combined that with Taylor Hall is gone. Yeah. And that's still, that's more than nothing, right? Yeah. Um, and now Patrice Bergeron is gone as well. So is Patrice Bergeron a 10-win a player uh, if we're going by the, the, the NHL war? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But eight, seven? So, and now we're getting into 14, 16 points. And then Taylor Hall accounts for some. And any kind of injury, whatever, accounts for some other the randomness of the sport accounts for some. I, I just, you, you add it all up and the big off-season acquisitions have been Milan Lucic and James Reemsdyke. It just feels like in this competitive Eastern Conference, specifically that division, they are in a world of trouble. I'll be curious. I'll be curious because, again, I don't expect them, even with the same roster, rolling it back to hit 135 again. But if they were a 120 or 125 team and then you start discounting, they still should be a 100-point team as it stands right now in my books. Okay. So now let's... Should we, should we go Pittsburgh again? Should we go back and double back to Pittsburgh in the, uh, the, hot, the hot rumor? <laughs> should we tease it out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Eric Carlson could be on the move. That's the, that's the hot ticket right now? That would certainly impact things on the, the Pittsburgh. Well... Would it? I mean, yes, it would. He, he would be one of the better point defensemen. First guy yeah. since Brian Leach, only a sixth guy in NHL history. Yeah. Say what you want about the defense. <laughs> Nobody's done it better for 30 years on the offensive side of things. Mm -hmm. No, it, it would absolutely be an impact. And a power play featuring like him and Latang and Crosby and Malkin and A healthy Gensel else. at yeah. some point. Yeah. Um, and anybody else <laughs> is going to be absolutely absurd. Is that enough to get this team back into relevancy in what is, again, an extremely competitive Eastern Conference? Oh, yeah. Because, again, I'm not worried about Washington. And you're basically, in my opinion, you're battling the New York Islanders. And I think they're a better team. Now, is it smart for them to do this? Eric Carlson has a cap hit of $11.5 for four more years. He's 33 years old. We all know his Achilles situation. I mean, he can only tear it so many times it's been repaired <laughs> yeah. clearly it didn't hamper him last season when he hit what 101 points or whatever it was we know the San Jose Sharks are going to eat some we don't know how much as it stands right now the Penguins have 2.7 million in cap space after the LTIR considerations that doesn't include Gensel who will hit LTIR but he's only going to be out 12 weeks so that's not nearly enough of a cap solution where are you on the Pittsburgh Penguins 
running it back with the roster they have and giving it one more kick of the can with Eric Carlson on the blue line. I have concerns about Carlson being able to replicate what he did last season on a competitive hockey team where you can't just like, because San Jose's offense was, I don't know, screw it, you go. Um, on, on a team that has a bit more or any structure, I, I don't know if his freewheeling works as well with this team. Now, he will still be an effective offensive asset on this team, no question about it. But he is, he is another on a team that is just swimming with 30-year-olds. And so I, I think he would be an improvement over who else they might be trotting out there on that blue line. But I don't know if it is enough to get them into, like, does it, could it get them into the playoffs? Yeah, it, it could make up the gap of two points that they missed out on the playoffs on going up against the, the Islanders and the one point that they missed out on by not being able to leapfrog the Florida Panthers in the, the wild cards, which, boy, that would have changed history a little bit if they could have done bit. that down the stretch. But does, like, th this last year was also the first time he stayed healthy in a while. And I, I just feel like you are banking on best case scenario for a guy who's only given you best case scenario once in the last few years. So your core would be Crosby at 35, Malkin at 37, Rust at 31, Jeff Carter at 38. I'm kind of cherry picking Jeff Carter there because I don't think he's going to play a substantial role with the team. On defense, Petrie's 35, Latang's 36. It's uh, You look at that forward group. No spring chickens. You look at the forward group right now on Cap Friendly. They have two guys under 30. Yeah, two guys under 30. Drew O'Connor, who I feel pretty comfortable in saying isn't going to play the biggest role on this team, and Alex Nylander, who is still just an RFA. It's old. It's real old. And this sport is trending younger. What do you expect Carlson's return to be? Because it seems that there were four teams that were nosing around. Penguins, Leafs, Hurricanes, Kraken. Those are the four teams that Carlson talked to. We're down to probably the Pittsburgh Penguins. Where do you see the return? Because I get a sense it's going to be very underwhelming. It's almost for for a hundred point Norris Trophy defenseman. It's almost just gifting whatever portion of the salary mm -hmm. you can get rid of. Yes, yeah, like it's. I, I'm with you. I think it is going to be an underwhelming return for uh, San Jose Sharks fans, and I think there are going to be a lot of fan bases that are going to be looking at whatever it ends up being. It's like that's it. Well, we could have done that. But would you want to? I Again, wouldn't. there's still four years at 11 and a half minus the three or four million dollar haircut that the yeah. San Jose Sharks are willing to eat. And the problem that San Jose is going to run into is that all the teams that they're dealing with, because we're into August now and all these teams have kind of figured out what direction they want to be going in. All these teams that you would be dealing with, you're basically going to have to eat half of it. If you want, like Pittsburgh, we talked about, they're going to have two million dollars in, in cap space. They, they can't just fit even half of Eric Carlson on there unless they're giving up something off of their roster. But what's even the benefit for San Jose to, to spend $5.75 I'm doing math on the fly. My apologies if it's way off. But why would you spend $5.75 to save $5.75 and get nothing back? Yeah, that's honestly, that would probably be the biggest selling point is, look, Eric Carlson at 11 is one thing. Eric Carlson at 5.75 now that's much more reasonable to, to stomach. So we are basically giving you a defenseman who at that point for your cap purposes would be underpaid. So give us a little bit more. And I think that is basically all of the value that San Jose could be asking for is a, a lot of the return is going to be based on how much of the salary they eat. What does this do for, I don't, I don't know if I can call it a sweepstakes. What does this do for Noah Hannafin's situation if 
Eric Carlson's off the board. Do you think it opens things up? Do you think more dialogue happens? Do you think more teams enter the fold? What are we looking at here? Again, the four teams that were in on Carlson or that Carlson had at least talked to were the Penguins, Leafs, Hurricanes, Kraken. Mm -hmm. I think you definitely go to the runners-up because now you have the uh, the 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 bell of the ball. You you have the the best item out there at again a much more reasonable price, and you, you'd want to work an extension out. And I, I think him being on an expiring contract helps and hinders a little bit. It, it helps in terms of fitting him under the cap this year, but uh, a team could be looking at this uh, not not that these teams would want a pure rental, but they're going to be saying, look, we don't have a contract with the guy, so we can't give you X, Y, and Z, right? So. I, I think it would help because it would make him the greatest option out there. And I, I think it would help the Flames get a, a bit more in return, given that, that he would be the, the best available, probably best available player on the, the trade market. Is it crazy to think, and I know you've got the, the contract considerations and everything, is it crazy to think that Noah Hannafin is probably going to return the Flames more than Norris Trophy winning 100-point defenseman Eric Carlson will fetch the Sharks. It's pretty wild, hey? But it, it, it feels like that should be the case, given the, the injury history for... for Inj- and the, the, the injury, age as well. contract, age, mileage on the body. Yeah. Like Everything is in the Hannafin favor right now. So we will see uh, where all of that goes. But it's it's August, but it's never boring in the NHL. And it's never boring here in the DL Basement Systems downtown studio uh, for Doug Lacey's Basement Systems cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls. We have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They are all things basement Visit dlbasementsystems.com. The Calgary Surge are getting ready for their first ever playoff game coming up this weekend. We will chat with their vice chairman and president coming up next here on Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This is Sportsnet Today with Aaron Vickers and Peter Klein on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Just a bit after 1.30, happy Friday. It is Peter Klein and Aaron Vickers with you on Sportsnet Today. A very busy show coming up. We still got uh, some Blue Jays talk, some Stampeders talk. Caleb Joseph uh, is going to be joining the program in about an hour. Matty Rose half an hour after that. So a lot to get to your thoughts Always welcome, mostly welcome, on the text line at 960-960. Uh, but uh, very pleased now to go down the Atlas Pizza guest hotline and join the vice chairman and president of the Calgary Surge, Jason Ribeiro. Jason, I would imagine this is a, a very busy week for you. We appreciate you taking a few minutes. How are you today, sir? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing well. Uh, really excited about what your team has uh, been able to accomplish so far. We're, we're into the playoffs um, as a one seed. I, I would imagine for, for year one, that, that's checking off uh, quite a few things on the to-do list right away, hey? Well, yeah. Like, I, you know, you know, I hear that all the time, but, you know, you, the, the, there's a bigger prize in mind, right? And I think, you know, being a little bit disfa- dissatisfied, and I think not just that at my level, but I think our front office, our coaches, our players, you know, we're not, we're not done. And I also think we never went into this thinking, well, what does success look like for a first year? I think we just really have focused on what does success look like and what does success look like in the community? What does success look like in the arena? What does success look like on the court first year, five years down the line or 10 years down the line. And I think that that mentality uh, has resulted in the, in the results that we've been able to achieve this uh, inaugural season. 
I was going to say that that has to be a, a fine balance between like appreciating like what has happened, what you guys have already started to build here, but but also understanding like a from just an on court standpoint that there's a couple of other things we'd like to get to, but but also just in the, the grander scheme of things that there's a growth that you would like to like is that or like to see is that uh, a tricky line to walk where you do have to appreciate sometimes when things go well, but that that bigger growth mentality. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, and it's funny you should say that. You know, we brought out our entire front office, uh, all of our players, coaching staff uh, uh, to dinner last night because we haven't really had an opportunity um, without it being an event or some other context to just kind of sit down and break bread. And I actually stole a moment with our head coach, Nelson Taroba, to, to talk about exactly that. You know, we're, we're very similar in that, you know, you become a slave to the work and uh, you don't really celebrate the wins. But, you know, as you grow and as you learn, you know, you know taking pause just for a moment to recognize what, what you've achieved is, is certainly important uh, and, and can be very impactful for, for players and for staff. And so we've been intentional uh, about taking those moments, but it's definitely a fine line. And I think, you know, at dinner last night, there were no long speeches. There were no, <laughs> there was almost no context as to why we t- were together other than let's bring the family together. Job's not finished and let's go back to work. Uh, and it uh, kind of sums up the energy of the Calgary surge to a T. When you look at the, the, this first year with the, the Calgary Surge, whether it's a sports franchise or any other kind of business or, or any venture, very rarely is it, oh, yeah, things went great, and then just steady line across the board. No problems. 365. Um, has, has there been any, any surprises or, or any challenges that you maybe weren't expecting along the way this year? Yeah, I think there were a couple. I think from a, you know standing up an, an organization, like you know, for people who don't recognize what the timeline was, you know, the day that uh, the Calgary franchise was announced uh, and and was said to be moving from Guelph to Calgary was August 17th. By the time you know Usman and I got involved in in acquiring the team and then launching the franchise nationally, it was uh, October 18th. So it was literally two months. Um, and then the hard work of assembling a staff and you know launching a brand and building out our community efforts and you know hiring general managers and getting players all of that work I think that the toughest point was that you know first few months period where where you just really didn't have you know anything to stand on um, and then I think certainly you know with with any professional sport there's there's ups and downs we we got off to a really hot start and. Uh, went through a little bit of a dip midway through through the season that I know was 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 challenging and and tough, but 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 both of those things that I just said were I think instrumental and and super imperative to go through at that time to be ready for now on the court. You know the guys finished uh, you know their last five games, winning four of them, and I think for us as as an office and as an organization, going through those early stages where we didn't really have players in market, we didn't have our coach hired yet, and all of those kinds of things has just made us really be locked in now that we do have them to make sure that we're getting into the community, we're, we're, we're mining our time really, really well, and uh, being very thankful that we, we have the staff that we do and the personnel. So I think every, like anything, you know, every learning, um, even though it feels kind of crummy in the moment, is really instructive for the successes down the line. Jason, take me back to August until now, and you mentioned the timeline of getting this thing off the ground, the quick two-month turnaround what was the biggest challenge to actually executing the vision that you had for the Calgary surge? Yeah, I, I think, I think it's, it's the fact that we knew we wanted to do things non-traditionally. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big sports fan and have been for my whole life. And 
I've seen the way that that, that sports teams kind of operate and particularly external facing and, and how the brand uh, intersects. And I think one of the main choices that we, we established very early on, which is a tough one for a lot of people to swallow, was I, I kept saying, this has got to be more than a basketball team. And uh, we made very clear that we want it to be this cultural vehicle where art and music and fashion and sport and entertainment and community and inclusion all kind of came together. And whether you were a basketball fan or not, if this proves out, you'll find your way to our games. You'll find your way wearing our hat. You'll find your way, some piece of this that intrigues you. And so the easiest thing we could have done very early on when we launched October 19th was to put a basketball in the talons of the, of the Hawk and the icon we could have said, hey, Calgary Surge Professional Basketball Club, but we took the harder route, which was just people calling us the Surge and, and you know, having this icon that didn't even almost look like a sports team. It almost looked like a fashion line. And, and, and I got to tell you, that short-term pain for long-term gain, you know, was really important for us. And, and I think a, a huge part of the success, you know, you look at our, our audience, our audience is coming from all four corners of the city. And, and why is that when you look out at Windsport Event Center? It's because very early on uh, when we launched the team, we intentionally went out to all four corners. If you look at our logo, it's got four wings on it for a reason. It's to represent every single quadrant uniting through this team. And so I think we've, we've made some choices that I think have been challenging to wrap people's heads around at first. But I think it's the very reason why we've blown past every projection. And, and I want to say this very earnestly. I just can't thank the people of Calgary enough, the basketball community and all the ancillary communities that I mentioned for the amount of support they provided for, for a team in their first year. It's, it's been really humbling. Yeah, you've touched on it. How do you feel the team has been received? And how have you seen the fan involvement grow over the season, both at Winsport and outside of the, outside of the court as well? Well, let me tell you, like at Winsport, like this is a college sports atmosphere um, times a thousand. Like uh, the amount of people who have come up to me and said, I don't know that I've ever seen um, a sports product like that, other than thinking about going to March Madness or something like that, where it's such an intimate venue um, but still a pro venue, still everything looks right and um, is a, is a world-class experience, but it gets rowdy. And, and for me, um, that's been so amazing to see how people are receptive in the arena because I know for a fact it's what carries our players through. Uh, it's what they talk about when they do interviews and when they go into other markets is, hey, I don't know the, that you know the so-and-so's fans are like our fans out here. And so that's been really heartening to see. And then I think out in the community, um, you know, we've, we've had this, you know, really broad strategy where we originally said, hey, everywhere there's a basketball we'll go to. And then that evolved into, okay, everywhere where there isn't a basketball but should be a basketball, then we'll go there. And then that's expanded to anywhere people just need to see community or anywhere that, that community is intersecting, we should go there too. And, and the reception has been phenomenal. I think for the two things I would highlight are, number one, our players. Um, we have one of the youngest rosters in the entire league. And to see these young men out in the community as – thoughtful and respectful and warm as they've been with fans or people that they've just met on the street in passing when they're shopping or going out to eat has been really heartwarming for us. And I think a testament to our, our head coach and our, and our general manager, assistant general manager. Um, but, but secondly, the fact that people who have come to Calgary surge game have told us personally, 
this is the first kind of sports, you know, and, and entertainment offering I've really gone to in the city. Like we're not big sports people, but people keep talking about how much of a of a show this is, how much how entertaining and how warm and inclusive this is. And for the first time, I felt comfortable to go, and now I'm a season ticket holder. So that's been really, really, really exciting for us to hear because that was the intent that that we didn't focus on just the basketball fans or just the sports fans. We we built something so transferable and so welcoming that we were focusing on all 1.3, 1.4 million people in the city. Is that something that you'd go to the players with as well? Like you said, you, you, the, the players have bought in. Is that something when, when you're bringing guys in or, or bringing the team over, you want to be like, hey, look, like we, we want you to play well, but this is going to be more about just practicing games, man. We, we got to get you out in the community and out at Stampede, like I, I saw you guys and stuff like that. Like th- th- this part of it is really important as well. Yeah, and you know what? To, to their credit, a lot of this is, has been like a say less moment. Like it's been, just been understood. And I think it's about the 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 model that they have replicated back i think they see the work of the coaching staff i think they see the work of our front office i think they see the community members that that come up to us uh, at, at games or in community and i think they just want to reflect back that energy and so i think they've seen the best of calgary and it's brought out the best in them uh you know the 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 really interesting intersection here is is the story of our general manager you know shane james one of the reasons why i hired him was he had led one of the most successful AAU programs in the country, Under Armour's Canada Elite Program. And many of the players on our roster are actually people that he's coached when they were 13, 14, and 15 years old. So he's, he's, known, he's known these young men for some time. He's, he's known their families. He's known their values. And one of the things I told him when I hired him was, one of the things I won't compromise on is, is ethics and integrity and values. And I don't care if a guy's going to put up 40 or 50 points. If he doesn't meet the criteria or buy-in and how we operate in community in front of cameras and behind closed doors, I don't want that player. And to his credit, um, that's been the least of our concerns this entire season, and that's not a given in pro sports. So uh, a lot of credit goes to, to him and our AGM, Mike Gerling, for making those signings. This city certainly has a reputation of being a hockey city. Obviously, the the Flames, people get excited for it. We have a number of other hockey teams uh, in the area. And I remember being on the radio out here five years ago, and it turned into a bit. I would try to talk about basketball, and they'd make fun of me for being so absurd. Uh, and then the 19, happen, the 19 run happens with the Toronto Raptors, and you start to see that this city start to embrace the sport, um, or at least feel comfortable showing that they're embracing the sport. Um, when did you know that this was um, more than just a hockey city and a basketball city? And, and was that maybe a concern that basketball hadn't really taken a big step forward in this city up to this point? Yeah, I, I think, look, I, I, you certainly have to pay attention to, to the past. You, you, you learn from history, right? And so, you know, I know there have been other experiments with professional basketball that, that haven't, you know, had much success. But, but to be honest, you know, at a certain point, you, you kind of have to run your own race. And the fact of the matter is that this is a global game, and, and the game is growing leaps and bounds. I just saw a poll done by Leger the other day. Um, that, that surveyed 1,000 Canadians, and they said, what's the most popular sport in the country for 18 to 24-year-olds? At 21% was hockey, at 19% was basketball. So you do the, you do the trending and, and you do the math, it's only going to be a few years before that, that, that overtakes. And I think in terms of the Calgary context, I want to be clear for, for sports fans in this city, you know, I don't think this is zero sum. You know, we're Flames fans, we're Hitman fan, you know, Roughnecks, uh, Cavalry, 
um, on down the line. Um, uh, I think this is a great sports market and it's a great sports town. And I think what our city wants, it deserves. And, and I think the city is clearly saying it wants basketball. But I think where you saw that kind of awkwardness probably at the time that you were trying to talk about basketball was it was it was only highlighting the, the, the stuff on the court. When it becomes about the culture, when it comes about the fashion and the music and everything that that sport does, even advocacy, you know, name me a sport that does this better. Um, name me a sport that's grown international leaps and bounds. And, and I think if we take that attitude that is not zero sum and recognizing where this is trending, I think there's enough space for, for, for everybody. And I think that's been the shift is that we, we haven't just pigeonholed this. Uh, hold ourselves into this is a sports team this is just another great addition to our city whether you're a diehard hoops fan or whether you're just you're know, looking to solve that existential question that exists in calgary what do you want to do on a friday night this is the answer um and and i think as long as we're we're involved in both of those conversations hoop fans feel that the quality is there and you know the casual fan or someone just looking to get out and and experience great entertainment is happy as well i think we've found our niche Jason, how do you quantify what winning has done to help you, though? Because it's one thing to put the product out there, but a winning atmosphere certainly helps both the players, the team, the fans, the community as well. Yeah, you know, as much as we talk about community and and all of the values that, that I've waxed a little bit poetic about, let me be clear, I want to win. Um, and I think that, you know, in the DNA of this organization has been, you know, we're, we're going to win. And we're going to win the right way and we're going to do the small things right and the big things right. And, and it's about the, the process. And I think part of, part of you know, setting that vision up front was that it was instilled and I think certainly reflected back from the hires that we made that are responsible for winning, right? Our general manager, our senior advisor that we hired, Steve Konchowski, is the most winningest youth sports men's basketball coach in Canadian history. Uh, Nelson Taroba is, is a details guy and, and really is committed to the process of winning the right way. Um, and certainly that's translated on the court. You know, it doesn't hurt um, the fact that, hey, you know, this is great new basketball team and they're really, really good like that. That and they're really, really good and, and winning um, is certainly important. Um, but you, you can't bank on that. Right. And I think that's why we've tried to make it more expansive. But I think a lot of credit goes to our coaching staff and our players for for just an incredible uh, run. But, you know, like I, I remind them every day, job's not finished. And, and I think that's got to carry over into our, our first home playoff game on Sunday night. Yeah, as it stands now, four-game winning streak, first in the Western Conference. You'll play the winner of the Western Conference play-in between Winnipeg and Edmonton today. You'll be hosting them, as you mentioned, at Winsport on Sunday. Just from your perspective, from your vantage point, how have you seen this team come together on the court and what's clicked to put yourself in this situation? Yeah, look, I think, you know, I mentioned it earlier, like going through that dip and I think being so dissatisfied with losing allowed, um, you know, the, the team to clean some things up, allowed our, our office to clean some things up. And it really, you know, was a kind of TSN turning point to bring us back together and really regroup and, and reset on the vision. Uh, and I think it hardened the guys a little bit. Um, uh, they got that dissatisfaction of, of not winning. I think, you know, look, the, the, these guys are, you know, they're, they're, they're so friendly with one another, brotherly almost. And you see it in the, the jokes and the text group that we all have together. And, um, you know, hearing that uh, they're, they're enjoying themselves, you know, watching movies and hanging out at the condos and certainly going out to Stampede. I think the fact that these guys have come in, bought in, are all kind of of similar ages and, and backgrounds. 
has allowed them to really lock in as brothers, spend a lot of time together, get to know themselves, um, and then understand the bigger picture, right? And I think what they've told me they've been appreciative of is that, you know, really there's no goofy stuff here. Like we're, we're not... We're not asking them to do things that, that don't jive with where they want to go in their careers, where they want to go in the sport and, and what they want the surge to be. And, and I think they feel a lot of pride and ownership in saying, you know, they're, they're the inaugural season. They're the inaugural team. This is the first year here. And the ability to make a dent, to make their own names mean a lot more at game 20 than on game one has put a fire in, in their bellies. And so what I've been most proud of, other than just the record, has been that, you know, Simi Shitu, you know, leading the league in rebounds, Steph Smith, league, leaguer, uh, league leader in, in assists, Kyler Kelly, league leader in, in blocks, uh, Admon Gilder, league leader in steals. Like those kinds of things are, are really impressive for us to see. And, and, and certainly Sean Miller, Moore, Ruggsy having a standout Canadian season. Uh, we couldn't be more proud of the guys. And I think they just, they're, they're supporting one another and we support them. And it's, it's, the, it's what you want to see in any franchise is that things are being done the right way and, and they're responding as such. Uh, for people who may be unfamiliar, if you could kind of quantify your team's style of play, how would you do that? Well, I think they're defensive-minded. You know, when we when we hired uh, Nelson Taroba, uh, who is the associate head coach of the Texas Legends, which is the Dallas Mavericks uh, NBA G League affiliate, you know, we knew um, from, from the jump that, that he was a defensive-minded coach, that he knew that doing the right things on the defensive end could lead to a lot of points in, in transition. And, and certainly um, I, I think that's, that's, that's been the case. So we've, we've limited, especially some of the larger scoring teams in the league to some of the lowest point totals uh, in the entire league. And so very, very defensive nosed. And, and, and then I think, you know, it's an exciting brand of basketball on the offensive end, you know, because so much of our offense is created in transition you, you get, you know, some of those high-flying dunks. You know, I think Ruggsy had almost a, a near three, uh, 360 the other night. Um, there's a lot of alley-oops. Uh, there's a lot of tough shots in proximity. Even our guards are not afraid of, of banging around in the paint, which is, which is phenomenal to see. But I, I, I'll just say that these, are, these guys don't quit on a play. Like, their conditioning is right. Uh, I always see them dialed in mentally. Uh, and I think they're just committed to the process. And I think a lot of a lot of credit goes to the players and certainly um, the coach and his coaching staff uh, to be able to get them locked in in such a short season. Like people don't realize to 20 game regular season. So it, it puts so much emphasis on your training camp. And I know that other teams have kind of played a model where just give it to the best player on the team. And you see five minutes of hero ball at the end of the game. We've never done that. Our team is not built that way. Uh, our team is built so that every single person uh, on that team uh, every night is a threat. And uh, I think in our last two games, we had four four guys, four players in, in double digits in, in each game. And so everyone can make an impact on the floor. And again, that's when I speak to doing things the right way. That's the kind of basketball you're going to see. And certainly our club teams and our, our elite teams and trainers uh, that attend our games have, have told us, you know, it's such an instructive game to watch if your kids are in basketball because then they can see how to become a two-way threat in the game. So it's a, it's a really different style of play for, for the CEBL, which I think has relied on, you know, Americans being the best players in, in, on the teams. Our Canadians, with, uh, without a doubt, have been the best players on this team. I don't want you to give anyone billboard material or uh, bulletin board material, sorry, or anything like that. But um, 
we're hoping Edmonton beats Winnipeg so you guys can be the ones to knock out the provincial rivals, right? That That's what we're hoping for for uh, this weekend? Ooh. Hey, listen, you know, you, you, you realize um, at a certain point, um, it doesn't matter who. Like, if you're, again, <laughs> I, I said that phrase, you know, you run your own race. Anyone can get the smoke. So whether it's Winnipeg, whether it's Edmonton, <laughs> Um, you know, we'll, we'll take whoever we can get. And I think, I think we will know what the job needs to be. I think, you know, it helped that in our last stretch of games, uh, we played both Edmonton and, uh, and Winnipeg. Uh, so we've seen these teams very recently. Uh, we came away with, uh, with wins in both of those last two matchups. And so, but they're, they're phenomenal, phenomenal teams. You know, Edmonton, you know, is, is, is in their fifth year as a, as a team in terms of existence. And I think has won the, the chip twice. So they're not to be discounted. Um, uh, I think they've got a really great core that, that stuck around for some time. And then Winnipeg also being a great success story uh, in the first year of, of their existence uh, has Teddy Allen, who's, you know, got an MVP caliber, uh, you know, season and, in, in, you know, being written as we speak uh, and are, are extremely well coached by, by Mike Taylor. So we want to give our opponents a lot of due deference, but in terms of either or, you know, like I said, anyone can get the smoke. <laughs> That wasn't the yeah, screw those guys I was looking for, but that was still fantastic. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jason, thank you so much for this. Like I said, I know it's a, a very busy time. You've been gracious with your, your time today. Um, if, if people want to check this out, how can they get tickets for this weekend? Yeah, feel free to follow us online at Calgary Surge across almost all channels, calgarysurge.ca. Um, we're playing at Winsports Sunday night, second round playoff game. 7 p.m. It's, it's going to be a show. It'll be packed to the Raptors. It'll air live on, on TSN. And there's a limited amount of tickets available. So for all further details, uh, go to calvarysearch.ca. And thank you so much to the community and you guys for your support. We really appreciate it. Man, love what you guys are doing. I got so jacked while you were talking about this thing. I'm fired up for this weekend. Uh, so thank you very much, Jason, and uh, best of luck. Appreciate you. We'll see you guys soon. See you soon. There is Jason Ribeiro, the vice chairman and president of the Calgary Surge, joining us on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline, brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. When he was talking about like how they've built this thing and it's not just a basketball team, it's like the culture and all of that, I got so fired up. I was like, can I invest in this thing? How can we go? I, I am... 100% on board. And it's a great time for local sports around yep. here, right? Like you got them. Uh, I'm counting the Okotoks dogs in of this course. as they're on uh, another role as well. Uh, you got the Cavalry FC. The Roughnecks is still like the greatest sports ticket in town. Uh, although Surge is putting on a run here. Um, obviously the, the Flames, the, the Hitmen, the, the Wranglers, the Stampeders are coming off of a decade of dominance. This is quite the time to be a sports fan here. And the growth recently You mentioned the Surge obviously being the in their inaugural season but the Cavalry as well. Like the, There's never been a better time to be a sports fan in Calgary with all the diverse options that you have. And the surge right now, playoff game Sunday, that place is going to be bumping. You've seen it. I've mm -hmm. seen it. That literally is the ticket to get yeah. in two days' time because it is a party. It is a show. It is competitive basketball. And it's done in the right facility for my mind too. It's yeah. just the right size to encompass all of that there's no vibes escaping anywhere. There's no empty seats. It's going to be packed. I suggest if you don't have tickets, go out and get them right now because they're not going to last long. No, absolutely. 100%. Um, so coming up, that, that's going to do it for the first hour of the show, by the way. If you missed anything, shame on you. Uh, but there is a podcast available as soon as uh, Cam gets to it. Cam? Can you yes. Get on the um, 
this would be super professional if I did it off the air. What are we doing next? Do we have what we thought we have, or is it something else? We're on, we're on standby for what we thought we were going to have today, uh, but we might uh, we might have some surprises coming up. Ooh, we okay. Out. Well, that's great for us. We <laughs> might have some surprises, or we're going to help Cam out with a, a big decision that he has to make. So we, we are either going buying to have... a new car? Uh, <laughs> well, oh. Maybe this will help him <laughs> buy a new car. Uh, he'll at least be able to get some cool Hot Wheels. Uh, so we will help him out with that, or we'll be joined by a champion athlete. Either or, it's going to be a lot of fun as we continue on Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.